Remember that high places are giddy places, and be not too hasty in your commendation of their conduct. Perhaps if you had their difficulties, you would do no better yourself. Beware of the love of money. It is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 A man may love money overmuch without having any at all. Beware of the love of self. It may be found in a cottage as well as in a palace. And beware of thinking that poverty alone will save you. If you would sit with Lazarus in glory, you must not only have fellowship with him in suffering, but in grace. Does any reader desire to know the remedy against that love of self which ruined the rich man's soul and cleaves to us all by nature, like our skin? I tell him plainly, there is only one remedy, and I ask him to mark well what that remedy is. It is not the fear of hell. It is not the hope of heaven. It is not any sense of duty. Oh, no. The disease of selfishness is far too deeply rooted to yield to such secondary motives as these. Nothing will ever cure it but an experimental knowledge of Christ's redeeming love. You must know the misery and guilt of your own estate by nature. You must experience the power of Christ's atoning blood sprinkled upon your conscience and making you whole. You must taste the sweetness of peace with God through the mediation of Jesus and feel the love of a reconciled Father shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Then, and not till then, the mainspring of selfishness will be broken. Then, knowing the immensity of your debt to Christ, you will feel that nothing is too great and too costly to give to Him. Feeling that you have been loved much when you deserve nothing, you will heartily love in return and cry, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits? Psalm 116, verse 12 Feeling that you have freely received countless mercies, you will think it a privilege to do anything to please Him to whom you owe all. Feeling that you have been bought with a price and are no longer your own, you will labor to glorify God with body and spirit which are His. 1 Corinthians 6.20 Yes, I repeat it this day. I know no effectual remedy for the love of self but a believing apprehension of the love of Christ. Other remedies may palliate the disease. This alone will heal it. Other antidotes may hide its deformity. This alone will work a perfect cure. An easy, good-natured temper may cover over selfishness in one man. A love of praise may conceal it in a second. A self-righteous asceticism and an effective spirit of self-denial may keep it out of sight in a third. But nothing will ever cut up selfishness by the roots. But the love of Christ revealed in the mind by the Holy Ghost and felt 
in the heart by simple faith. Once let a man see the full meaning of the words, Christ loved me and gave himself for me, and then he will delight to give himself to Christ and all that he has to his service. He will live to him, not in order that he may be secure, but because he is secure already. He will work for him, not that he may have life and peace, but because life and peace are his own already. Go to the cross of Christ, all you that want to be delivered from the power of selfishness. Go and see what a price was paid there to provide a ransom for your soul. Go and see what an astounding sacrifice was there made that a door to eternal life might be provided for poor sinners like you. Go and see how the Son of God gave himself for you and learn to think it a small thing to give yourself to him. The disease which ruined the rich man in the parable may be cured, but oh, remember, there is only one real remedy. If you would not live to yourself, you must live to Christ. See to it that this remedy is not only known, but applied, not only heard of, but used. One, and now let me conclude all by urging on every reader of these pages the great duty of self-inquiry. A passage of scripture like this parable ought surely to raise in many and one great searchings of heart. What am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? What is likely to be my condition after death? Am I prepared to leave the world? Have I any home to look forward to in the world to come? Have I put off the old man and put on the new? Am I really one with Christ and a pardoned soul? Surely such questions as these may well be asked when the story of the rich man and Lazarus has been heard. Oh, that the Holy Ghost may incline many a reader's heart to ask them. Two, in the next place, I invite all readers who desire to have their souls saved and have no good account to give of themselves at present to seek salvation while it can be found. I do entreat you to apply to him by whom alone man can enter heaven and be saved, even Jesus Christ the Lord. He has the keys of heaven. He is sealed and appointed by God the Father to be the Savior of all that will come to him. Go to him in earnest and hearted prayer and tell him your case. Tell him that you have heard that he receiveth sinners and that you come to him as such. Luke 15, 2. Tell him that you desire to be saved by him in his own way and Ask him to save you. Oh, that you may take this course without delay. Remember the hopeless end of the rich man. Once dead, there is no more change. Three, last of all, I entreat all professing Christians 
to encourage themselves in habits of liberality towards all causes of charity and mercy. Remember that you are God's stewards and give money liberally, freely and without grudging. Whenever you have an opportunity, you cannot keep your money forever. You must give account one day of the manner in which it has been expended. Oh, lay it out with an eye to eternity while you can. I do not ask rich men to leave their situations in life, give away all their property and go into the workhouse. This would be refusing to fill the position of a steward for God. I ask no man to neglect his worldly calling and to omit to provide for his family. Diligence in business is a positive Christian duty. Provision for those dependent on us is proper Christian prudence. But I ask all to look around continually as they journey on and to remember the poor, the poor in body and the poor in soul. Here we are for a few short years. How can we do most good with our money while we are here? How can we so spend it as to leave the world somewhat happier and somewhat holier when we are removed? Might we not abridge some of our luxuries? Might we not lay out less upon ourselves and give more to Christ's cause and Christ's poor? Is there none we can do good to? Are there no sick, no poor, no needy, whose sorrows we might lessen, and whose comforts we might increase? Such questions will never fail to elicit an answer from some quarter. I am thoroughly persuaded that the income of every religious and charitable society in England might easily be multiplied tenfold if English Christians would give in proportion to their means. There are none, surely, to whom such appeals ought to come home with such power as professing believers in the Lord Jesus. The parable of the text is a striking illustration of our position by nature and our debt to Christ. We all lay like Lazarus at heaven's gate sick unto the death, helpless and starving. Blessed be God, we were not neglected as he was. Jesus came forth to relieve us. Jesus gave himself for us that we might have hope and live. For a poor Lazarus-like world, he came down from heaven and humbled himself to become a man. For a poor Lazarus-like world. He went up and down doing good, caring for men's bodies as well as souls, until he died for us on the cross. I believe that in giving to support works of charity and mercy, we are doing that which is according to Christ's mind. And I ask readers of these pages to begin the habit of giving if they never began it before, and to go on with it increasingly, if they have begun. I believe that in offering a warning against worldliness and covetousness, 
I have done no more than bring forward a warning specially called for by the times. And I ask God to bless the consideration of these pages to many souls. Chapter 14 The Best Friend This is my friend. Canticles 5 verse 16 A friend is one of the greatest blessings on earth. Tell me not of money. Affection is better than gold. Sympathy is better than lands. He is the poor man who has no friends. This world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. A real friend is scarce and rare. There are many who will eat and drink and laugh with us in the sunshine of prosperity. There are few who will stand by us in the days of darkness, few who will love us when we are sick, helpless, and poor, few, above all, who will care for our souls. Does any reader of this paper want a real friend? I write to recommend one to your notice this day. I know of one who sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24 I know of one who is ready to be your friend for time and for eternity, if you will receive him. Hear me while I try to tell you something about him. The friend I want you to know is Jesus Christ. Happy is that family in which Christ has the foremost place. Happy is that person whose chief friend is Christ. One, do we want a friend in need? Such a friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. Man is the neediest creature on God's earth because he is a sinner. There is no need so great as that of sinners. Poverty, hunger, thirst, cold, sickness, all are nothing in comparison. Sinners need pardon, and they are utterly unable to provide it for themselves. They need deliverance from a guilty conscience and the fear of death, and they have no power of their own to obtain it. This need the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to relieve. He came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 We are all by nature poor dying creatures. From the king on his throne to the pauper in the war cots, we are all sick of a mortal disease of soul. Whether we know it or not, whether we feel it or not, we are all dying daily. The plague of sin is in our blood. We cannot cure ourselves. We are hourly getting worse and worse. All this the Lord Jesus undertook to remedy. He came into the world to bring in health and cure. He came to deliver us from the second death. 
He came to abolish death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jeremiah 33, 6, Revelation 2, 11, 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. We are all by nature imprisoned debtors. We owed our God 10,000 talents and had nothing to pay. We were wretched, bankrupt, without hope of discharging ourselves. We could never have freed ourselves from our load of liabilities and were daily getting more deeply involved. All this the Lord Jesus saw and undertook to remedy. He engaged to ransom and redeem us. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. He came to redeem us from the curse of the law. Hosea 13.14 Isaiah 61.1 Galatians 3.13 We were all by nature shipwrecked and cast away. We could never have reached the harbor of everlasting life. We were sinking in the midst of the waves, shiftless, hopeless, helpless, and powerless. Tied and bound by the chain of our sins, thundering under the burden of our own guilt, and like to become a prey to the devil. All this the Lord Jesus saw and undertook to remedy. He came down from heaven to be our mighty helper. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and to deliver us from going down into the pit. Psalm 89, 19, Luke 19, verse 10, Job 33, verse 24. Could we have been saved without the Lord Jesus Christ coming down from heaven? It would have been impossible, so far as our eyes can see. The wisest men of Egypt and Greece and Rome never found out the way to peace with God. Without the friendship of Christ, we should all have been lost forevermore in hell. Was the Lord Jesus Christ obliged to come down to save us? Oh, no, no. It was His own free love mercy and pity that brought him down. He came unsought and unasked because he was gracious. Let us think on these things. Search all history from the beginning of the world. Look around the whole circle of those you know and love. You never heard of such friendship among the sons of men. There never was such a real friend in need as Jesus Christ. Two, do you want a friend indeed? Such a friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. The true extent of a man's friendship must be measured by his deeds. Tell me not what he says and feels and wishes. Tell me not of his words and letters. Tell me, rather, what he does. Friendly is that friendly does. The doings of the Lord Jesus Christ for man are the grand proof of his friendly feeling towards him. Never were there such acts of kindness and self-denial as those which he has performed on our behalf. 
He has not loved us in word only, but in deed. For our sakes he took our nature upon him and was born of a woman. He who was very God and equal with the Father laid aside for a season his glory and took upon him flesh and blood like our own. The Almighty Creator of all things became a little babe like any of us and experienced all our bodily weaknesses and infirmities, sin only accepted. Though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 For our sakes he lived thirty-three years in this evil world, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Though he was king of kings, he had not where to lay his head. Though he was lord of lords, he was often weary and hungry and thirsty and poor. He took on him the form of a servant and humbled himself. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. For our sakes, he suffered the most painful of all deaths, even the death of the cross. Though innocent and without fault, he allowed himself to be condemned and found guilty. He, who was the Prince of Life, was led as a lamb to the slaughter and poured out his soul unto death. He died for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 Was he obliged to do this? Oh, no. He might have summoned to his help more than twelve legions of angels and scattered his enemies with a word. He suffered voluntarily and of his own free will to make atonement for our sins. He knew that nothing but the sacrifice of his body and blood could ever make peace between sinful man and a holy God. He laid down his life to pay the price of our redemption. He died that we might live. He suffered that we might reign. He bore shame that we might receive glory. He suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 3.18, 2 Corinthians 5.21 Such friendship as this passes man's understanding. Friends who would die for those who love them, we may have heard of sometimes. But who can find a man who would lay down his life for those that hate him? Yet this is what Jesus has done for us. God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 Ask all the tribes of mankind from one end of the world to the other. And you will nowhere hear of a deed like this. None was ever so high and stooped down so low as Jesus, the Son of God. None ever gave so costly a proof of his friendship. None ever paid so much and endured so much to do good to others. Never was there such a friend indeed.
as Jesus Christ. 3. Do we want a mighty and powerful friend? Such a friend is Jesus Christ. Power to hope is that which few possess in this world. Many have will enough to do good to others, but no power. They feel for the sorrows of others and would gladly relieve them if they could. They can weep with their friends in affliction, but are unable to take their grief away. But though man is weak, Christ is strong. Though the best of our earthly friends is feeble, Christ is almighty. All power is given unto him in heaven and earth. Matthew 28.18 No one can do so much for those whom he befriends as Jesus Christ. Others can befriend their bodies a little. He can befriend both body and soul. Others can do a little for them in time. He can be a friend both for time and eternity. A. He is able to pardon and save the very chief of sinners. He can deliver the most guilty conscience from all its burdens and give it perfect peace with God. He can wash away the vilest stains of wickedness and make a man whiter than snow in the sight of God. He can clothe a poor weak child of Adam in everlasting righteousness and give him a title to heaven that can never be overthrown. In a word, he can give any one of us peace, hope, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God if we will only trust in him. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. 1 John 1, verse 7 B. He is able to convert the hardest of hearts and create in man a new spirit. He can take the most thoughtless and ungodly people and give them another mind by the Holy Ghost which he puts in them. He can cause old things to pass away and all things to become new. He can make them love the things which they once hated and hate the things which they once loved. He can give them power to become the sons of God. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. John 1, 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. See, he is able to preserve to the end all who believe in him and become his disciples. He can give them grace to overcome the world, the flesh and the devil and fight a good fight at the last. He can lead them on safely in spite of every temptation, carry them home through a thousand dangers, and keep them faithful, though they stand alone and have none to help them. He is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him. Hebrews 7.25 D. He is able to give those that love him the best of gifts. He can give them in life inward comforts which money can never buy, peace and poverty, joy and sorrow, patience and suffering. He can give them in death 
bright hopes which enable them to walk through the dark valley without fear. He can give them after death a crown of glory which fadeth not away, and a reward compared to which the Queen of England has nothing to bestow. This is power indeed. This is true greatness. This is real strength. Go and look at the poor Hindu idolater seeking peace in vain by afflicting his body, and after fifty years of self-imposed suffering, unable to find it. Go and look at the benighted Romanist giving money to his priest to pray for his soul and yet dying without comfort. Go and look at rich men spending thousands in search of happiness and yet always discontented and unhappy. Then turn to Jesus and think what he can do and is daily doing for all who trust him. Think how he heals all the broken-hearted comforts all the sick, cheers all the poor that trust in Him, and supplies all their daily need. The fear of man is strong. The opposition of this evil world is mighty. The lust of the flesh rage horribly. The fear of death is terrible. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus is stronger than them all. Jesus can make us conquerors over all these foes and then say, whether it be not true that there never was so mighty a friend as Jesus Christ. Four, do we want a loving and affectionate friend? Such a friend is Jesus Christ. Kindness is the very essence of true friendship. Money and advice and help lose half their grace, if not given in a loving manner. What kind of love is that of the Lord Jesus towards man? It is called a love that passeth knowledge. Ephesians 3:19. Love shines forth in his reception of sinners. He refuses none that come to him for salvation, however unworthy they may be. Though their lives may have been most wicked, though their sins may be more in number than the stars of heaven, the Lord Jesus is ready to receive them and give them pardon and peace. There is no end to his compassion. There are no bounds to his pity. He is not ashamed to befriend those whom the world cast off as hopeless. There are none too bad, too filthy, and too much diseased with sin to be admitted into his home. He is willing to be the friend of any sinner. He has kindness and mercy and healing medicine for all. He has long proclaimed this to be his rule. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37 Love shines forth in his dealings with sinners after they have believed in him and become his friends. He is very patient with them, though their conduct is often very trying and provoking. He is never tired of hearing their complaints, however often they may come to him. 
He sympathizes deeply in all their sorrows. He knows what pain is. He is acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53.3 In all their afflictions he is afflicted. He never allows them to be tempted above what they are able to bear. He supplies them with daily grace for their daily conflict. Their poor services are acceptable to him. He is as well pleased with them as a parent is with his child's endeavor to speak and walk. He has caused it to be written in his book that he taketh pleasure in his people and that he taketh pleasure in them that fear him. Psalm 147, verse 11 and 149, verse 4. There is no love on earth that can be named together with this. We love those in whom we see something that deserves our affection, or those who are our bone or our flesh. The Lord Jesus loves sinners in whom there is no good thing. We love those from whom we get some return for our affection. The Lord Jesus loves those who can do little or nothing for him compared to what he does for them. We love where we can give some reason for loving. The great friend of sinners draws his reasons out of his own everlasting compassion. His love is purely disinterested, purely unselfish, purely free. Never, never was there so truly loving a friend as Jesus Christ. 5. Do we want a wise and prudent friend? Such a friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's friendship is sadly blind. He often injures those he loves by injudicious kindness. He often errs in the counsel he gives. He often leads his friends into trouble by bad advice, even when he means to help them. He sometimes keeps them back from the way of life and entangles them in the vanities of the world when they have well nigh escaped. The friendship of the Lord Jesus is not so. It always does us good and never evil. The Lord Jesus never spoils his friends by extravagant indulgence. He gives them everything that is really for their benefit. He withholds nothing from them that is really good, but he requires them to take up their cross daily and follow him. He bids them endure hardships as good soldiers. He calls on them to fight a good fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. His people often dislike it at the time and think it hard. But when they reach heaven, they will see it was all well done. The Lord Jesus makes no mistakes in managing his friends' affairs. He utters all their concerns with perfect wisdom. All things happen to them at the right time and in the right way. He gives them as much of sickness and as much of health as much of poverty and as much of riches, as much of sorrow and as much of joy as he sees their souls require. He leads them by the right way to bring them to the city of habitation.
He mixes their bitterest cups like a wise physician and takes care that they have not a drop too little or too much. His people often misunderstand his dealings. They are silly enough to fancy their course of life might have been better ordered. But in the resurrection day they will thank God that not their will, but Christ's, was done. Look round the world and see the harm which people are continually getting from their friends. Mark how much more ready men are to encourage one another in worldliness and levity than to provoke to love and good works. Think how often they meet together, not for the better, but for the worse, not to quicken one another's souls in the way to heaven, but to confirm one another in the love of this present world. Alas, there are thousands who are wounded unexpectedly in the house of their friends. And then turn to the great friend of sinners and see how different a thing is his friendship from that of man. Listen to him as he walks by the way with his disciples. Mark how he comforts, reproves, and exhorts with perfect wisdom. Observe how he times his visits to those he loves, as to Mary and Martha at Bethany. Hear how he converses as he dines on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? John 21.16 His company is always sanctifying. His gifts are always for our soul's good. His kindness is always wise. His fellowship is always to edification. One day of the Son of Man is better than a thousand in the society of earthly friends. One hour spent in private communion with Him is better than a year in king's palaces. Never, never was there such a wise friend as Jesus Christ. 6. Do we want a tried and proved friend? Such a friend is Jesus Christ. Six thousand years have passed away since the Lord Jesus began His work of befriending mankind. During that long period of time, He has had many friends in this world. Millions on millions, unhappily, have refused His offers and been miserably lost forever. But thousands on thousands have enjoyed the mighty privilege of His friendship and been saved. He has had great experience. A. He has had friends of every rank and station in life. Some of them were kings and rich men like David and Solomon and Hezekiah and Job. Some of them were very poor in this world like the shepherds of Bethlehem and James and John and Andrew. But they were all alike Christ's friends. Me. He has had friends of every age that man can pass through. Some of them never knew him till they were advanced in years, like Manasseh and Zacchaeus, and probably the Ethiopian eunuch. Some of them were his 
friends even from their earliest childhood, like Joseph and Samuel and Josiah and Timothy. But they were all alike Christ's friends. See, he has had friends of every possible temperament and disposition. Some of them were simple, plain men, like Isaac. Some of them were mighty in word and deed, like Moses. Some of them were fervent and warm-hearted, like Peter. Some of them were gentle and retiring spirits, like John. Some of them were active and stirring, like Martha. Some of them loved to sit quietly at his feet, like Mary. Some dwelt unknown among their own people, like the Shunammite. Some have gone everywhere and turned the world upside down, like Paul. But they were all alike Christ's friends. D. He has had friends of every condition in life. Some of them were married and had sons and daughters, like Enoch. Some of them lived and died unmarried, like Daniel and John the Baptist. Some of them were often sick, like Lazarus and Epaphroditus. Some of them were strong to labor, like Persis and Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some of them were masters, like Abraham and Cornelius. Some of them were servants, like the saints in Nero's household. Some of them had bad servants, like Elisha. Some of them had bad masters, like Obadiah. Some of them had bad wives and children, like David. But they were all alike Christ's friends. E. He has had friends of almost every nation and people and tongue. He has had friends in hot countries and in cold. Friends among nations highly civilized and friends among the simplest and rudest tribes. His book of life contains the names of Greeks and Romans, of Jews and Egyptians, of bond and of free. There are to be found on its lists reserved Englishmen and cautious Scotchmen, impulsive Irishmen and fiery Welshmen, volatile Frenchmen and dignified Spaniards, refined Italians and solid Germans, rude Africans and refined Hindus, cultivated Chinese and half-savage New Zealanders. But they were all alike Christ's friends. All these have made trial of Christ's friendship and proved it to be good. They all found nothing wanting when they began. They all found nothing wanting as they went on. No lack, no defect, no deficiency was ever found by any one of them in Jesus Christ. Each found his own souls once fully supplied. Each found every day that in Christ there was enough and to spare. Never, never was there a friend so fully tried and proved as Jesus Christ. 7. Last but not least, do we want an unfailing friend? Such a friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. The saddest part of all the good things of earth is their instability. Riches make themselves wings and flee away. 
Youth and beauty are but for a few years. Strength of body soon decays. Mind and intellect are soon exhausted. All is perishing. All is fading. All is passing away. But there is one splendid exception to this general rule, and that is the friendship of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is a friend who never changes. There is no fickleness about him. Those whom he loves, he loves unto the end. Husbands have been known to forsake their wives. Parents have been known to cast off their children. Human vows and promises of faithfulness have often been forgotten. Thousands have been neglected in their poverty and old age who were honored by all when they were rich and young. But Christ never changed his feelings towards one of his friends. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13a The Lord Jesus never goes away from his friends. There is never a parting and goodbye between him and his people. From the time that he makes his abode in the sinner's heart, he abides in it forever. The world is full of leave-takings and departures. Death and the lapse of time break up the most united family. Sons go forth to make their way in life. Daughters are married and leave their father's house forever. Scattering, scattering, scattering is the yearly history of the happiest home. How many we have cheerfully watched as they drove away from our doors, whose pleasant faces we have never seen again. How many we have sorrowfully followed to the grave, and then come back to a cold, silent, lonely, and blank fireside. But thanks be to God, there is one who never leaves his friends. The Lord Jesus is he who has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 The Lord Jesus goes with his friends wherever they go. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, 
from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.